Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 315. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Therapists, interested in making it easier for your clients to use their out-of-network benefits for therapy? Visit thesuperbill.com to learn more about Superbill, a service that can help your clients get reimbursed without having to jump through hoops. Getting started is simple. Clients go to thesuperbill.com to complete a quick HIPAA-compliant sign-up process, and you send their super bills directly to us so we can file claims with their insurance companies. No more spending hours on the phone wrangling with insurance companies for reimbursement. Superbill eliminates that hassle and clients pay only a low monthly fee for the service. Stay tuned for details on Superbill's therapist referral program and a special discount for your clients to get a free month of service at thesuperbill.com. Today's episode is sponsored by TraumaTherapistNetwork.com. Trauma is real. Healing is possible. Help is available. Find information, resources, and locate a therapist in your area at TraumaTherapistNetwork.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm sharing an interview with Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite who is a psychiatrist, child and adult psychiatrist in Massachusetts, and provides education, consultation, and coaching on mental health trauma and the impact of race and culture on mental health. Dr. Christian Brathwaite and I got together for this interview to talk about why children are struggling even more than usual in this time. We recorded this episode in the fall of 2021 So we were talking about what was going on in that time for children, which after that is when the Omicron variant really hit hard in the U.S., but just this period of history itself as well. And she shared how racial trauma and other traumatic experiences of marginalization, violence, oppression, and discrimination are affecting children on top of the stress of living during a pandemic 
and the individual and family stressors that were already present for people before COVID-19. She talks about the deficit of treatment options available in the U.S. with our overtaxed mental health systems, especially for children, specific things parents and teachers can do to support children who are impacted by trauma, including racial trauma, and about how her company, Array Behavioral Health Telepsychiatry, is filling in some of the gaps and treatment availability and access. So this was a really interesting and inspiring conversation to me. I hope you'll enjoy listening to it as well. If some of what we're saying about COVID sounds out of date, it's because, as you know, it's now January 2022, and much has changed in the past couple months with COVID. So Nicole Christian Brathwaite, MD, is a double board certified adult and child and adolescent psychiatrist. Dr. Christian Brathwaite received her medical degree from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and completed her adult psychiatry residency and child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship at Massachusetts General Hospital, McLean Hospital, a Harvard Medical School affiliate. She's the founder and CEO of WellMind Psychiatry and Consulting Company, which provides psychiatric and therapeutic treatment as well as education, consultation, and coaching on mental health and trauma, wellness and self-care, implicit bias, and understanding mental illness in children of color. Dr. Christian Brathwaite has written numerous articles for scientific or medical publications and frequently speaks about the impact of trauma, race, and culture on mental health. She also serves as the board of directors for the Postpartum Depression Fund of Massachusetts and Families for Depression Awareness, and she's the disparities lead for the COVID-19 Action Coalition of Massachusetts. So she's a very busy person, and I'm quite honored that she was able to take the time to speak with me on Therapy Chat. As fancy as her background is, she's very easy to talk to and relatable when you speak with her. So I'm sure that you will enjoy this conversation. So let's dive right into it. Just before we do, I wanted to give you a quick reminder. If you're a trauma therapist, you still have time but not much because this is airing on January 28th. You have three more days to sign up for Trauma Therapist Network's Trauma Therapist Directory membership and get the founding member price of $33 a month. It's going up on February 1st to $97 a month and starting in March, the membership will have additional value. You'll hear more about that in the middle of today's episode. So I don't need to tell you about it all right now, but I just wanted to remind you, if you were thinking about doing it, go ahead and sign up while you can for only $33 a month. That's your price for the lifetime of your membership if you sign up before February 1st, 2022. Thanks so much for listening and let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Christian. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. Yeah, I'm really happy that we've met because I'm excited about what you are offering. And the subject that we wanted to talk about today is children's mental health, which is very needed right now. But before we even get into it, can we just start off by you telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. My So again, my name is Dr. Nicole Christian or Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite, if you use the, the full long name. Um, I am a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. And 
I am the Senior Vice President and Medical Director for Array Behavioral Care. We are um, one of the largest and oldest telepsychiatry companies in the country. Awesome. And just for people who might not really be familiar, can you tell them what telepsychiatry is? Sure. So at, at Array, we one of our mottos is you know providing care from hospital to home. So essentially, any type of behavioral health care or support that you need, you can receive it virtually. So if you go into an emergency room and you or your child are having a behavioral health crisis and you're in a part of the country where many of us are that don't have access to a psychiatrist or a child psychiatrist, essentially what could happen is that the hospital would reach out to us and one of our psychiatrists would evaluate or assess you or your child in the emergency room setting via video. So you would be sitting in the emergency room. I would be here in my office and we would have a discussion. I would administer screening questionnaires virtually. The same thing if you went into an outpatient setting, you would be in the office, I would be here. And we also offer services directly at home. So if you're sitting in your living room or in your car and you wanted to speak with a therapist or a psychiatrist, we could do that virtually. So it's all live, audio, visual in the moment. So it's essentially the same service and care you would get if you walked into my office and we were sitting a few feet apart. That's the exact same support and treatment we offer, but from the convenience of potentially your home or your local primary care doctor's office. Very cool. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was available. So even though I thought I knew what you meant by telepsychiatry, I just learned more there. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking before about how right now in this time of history, children are really struggling in so many ways. Can you talk about, you know, what is happening with children's mental health at this moment? Absolutely. There, there are, there's so many really concerning things happening Recently, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually issued a a statement declaring children's mental health a national emergency. And and for multiple reasons, one, the rates of mental health concerns are increasing. So certainly the, the rates of kids endorsing depression, anxiety, and then even more concerning substance use disorders or suicide are increasing. The rates of kids needing supports and services are increasing and the the number of child mental health providers are not increasing at the same rate that the needs are increasing. And there's always been a deficit. There are many, many children throughout the country that literally have zero access to a child therapist or child psychiatrist. And then lastly, when kids are able to get to the emergency room and are seeking a higher level of care, like an inpatient admission, we don't have the beds. We don't have the staff or the resources to provide that crisis intervention that they need. Very true. And, you know, we've all heard about hospital bed shortages because of COVID. And this is, you know, I think in some ways COVID does play into this for many people who are struggling, but this is about mental health psychiatric beds not being available. I mean, I know in my community and I'm in the DC, Baltimore area, so it's not a like really underserved area, but there's, it's hard to get treatment. It's hard to get beds. It's hard to get psychiatric care um, without a very long, very long waiting list and therapy. So if it's bad here, I know it's really, really bad in places where there's not enough providers for the need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are some studies showing that one in five counties in America have no access to a child psychiatrist, particularly a child psychiatrist that 
is accessible and that takes your insurance or that has an appointment within the next six months. Yeah. Yeah. And I always struggle with trying to find trauma-informed child psychiatrists as well. I mean, that's even more specific and more difficult to find. So can you talk about some of the reasons that kids are particularly struggling more now? Sure. I mean, so we, we certainly can't ignore the impact of, of COVID-19 that that's had such a, a dr- drastic uh, and devastating impact on, on many communities, particularly communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been some studies showing that 150,000 children have lost grandparents. And most of those children are Black and Latino kids. Many children are witnessing the devastating impact of, of job loss or having watching family members suffer from long COVID. And, and so those are just the you know small health-related COVID disruptions. But then we're thinking about disruptions in school. And even when they return to school every other month or, or week, they have to leave school because of a potential exposure. And, and kids thrive on structure and predictability and consistency. And we've literally had none of those three over the last two and a half or three years. And so kids are are really feeling that uncertainty and that anxiety of of the unknown of what's coming. Am I safe? Are my parents safe? And, you know, again, witnessing their parents struggling. It's we our kids are are sponges. And so they're they're watching how we respond. They're, They're seeing the stress and strain that. The COVID, the pandemic is is having on their family members and, and their parents. And so that's certainly impacting them. But then also even this time of the year is always challenging. Pre, Pre-COVID, we've always seen increases in kids presenting to emergency rooms or requesting services during the late fall and winter months because the days are shorter. Schools becoming more intense. The expectations are greater. You're, you're, there's less sunlight. There's less opportunity to actually get outside and move around. And kids are really starting to feel more overwhelmed, more stressed. And with still a lot of the ongoing restrictions, they don't have access to many of the coping skills or outlets that they would normally have. That's true with sports being limited and just all kinds of after school programs and things that, you know, children and families may have relied on for social support, childcare, and, you know, movement and homework help and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk about the impact of racial trauma on kids at this time? It's like layered over COVID, you know? Absolutely. And that that's a, a really challenging but important conversation. When we're talking about trauma, I think people often, when they think about trauma, they're, they're assuming physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. They're, they're not looking outside of those kind of what we consider to be like the, the big T traumas. There are so many other negative incidents that occur on a daily basis that could have really significant detrimental effects. There was a a study a number of years ago called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study or the ACEs study. And essentially what that revealed was that negative experiences or toxic stressors that happen prior to the age of 18 can have longstanding negative emotional and physical impact on a, a person's health. So being exposed to domestic violence or um, community violence or, or mental illness of a parent, all of those things increase the risk of diabetes, heart disease, depression, suicidality. 
But what we've actually realized is that one, you don't have to wait until adulthood to see the negative impact of, of early childhood toxic stressors, but also day-to-day -day events like being bullied or experiencing discrimination or feel like you're, you're being targeted by police or by peers or even witnessing racial violence on TV or on social media. All of those things are actually considered adverse childhood experiences and they add up and increase the, the risk of mental health and mental illness in, in kids. There, there are studies showing that a child with seven ACEs or seven of those adverse childhood experiences, it increases the risk of that child committing suicide by 51-fold. And so kids of color are at much greater risk of experiencing adverse childhood experiences. So they're more likely to live in communities where they, they do feel like they're, they're being profiled or discriminated against. They're, they're more likely to witness their parents experiencing racism or discrimination. Certainly in the, the last year or two, since George Floyd, we are seeing over and over again, these acts of, excuse me, racial violence acts, and they're being replayed consistently on this 24-hour news cycle, we're seeing these, these really unedited graphic videos and all of these things are, are ACEs. All of these things contribute to increased risk. And so kids of color are losing family members because of COVID at a greater risk. Parents and family members are losing jobs. They don't have economic or housing stability. They're also witnessing racial violence. And then all of these things add up and, and lead to greater risks of depression, anxiety, substance use, PTSD. Yes, yes. I think about how with when we talk about the number of ACEs someone has, and you said seven or more increases the risk of death by suicide, and one ACE checkmark does not equal one event. It, it could be something that was repeated throughout childhood and something like racism, discrimination, discrimination based on your culture or ethnicity, your outward appearance is something that's completely inescapable. So of course, that's a huge trauma because nature of trauma is powerlessness in the, you know, in that situation. So yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to like sort of amplify or emphasize what you didn't directly say that seeing repeated horrifying images and of someone's death or abuse, violence, when you see the image, that's a trauma. But when you can relate to why this person is being killed or abused, experiencing violence based on an attribute that you share is very powerful. And for kids, you know, and adults have a hard time talking about racism. And for kids, those complex, you know, situations are really overwhelming. Absolutely. Even more. Absolutely. And there and there's evidence to support that. So there there have been studies looking at Latino adolescents and African-American adolescents after they've watched these videos of mm. police killings of African-Americans or racial violence. And when they're screened after the fact, many of them meet criteria for generalized anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and, there, and there have been studies even saying that upwards of 20% of people that have watched these videos later meet criteria for a mood or anxiety disorder simply because of exposure to this traumatic event. And, and you know, even, you know, people when they're what we don't realize is when you're watching these videos, your, your mind, your brain doesn't know the difference between you being safe in your home versus you being there and at risk. So our bodies go into that fight, flight, or freeze. We respond as if we are there in the moment that we are at risk. 
And so seeing these videos come up weekly or monthly, you are consistently enacting or, you know, increasing your stress response. And so you're going into fight, flight, or freeze as if you are in danger. And, in, and in our bodies were never meant to be in a consistent and heightened state of stress. And these persistent states of stress obviously lead to mental and physical illness. And to, for it to start at seven, eight, nine years old, and then to continually be exposed to these things throughout your life, that's incredibly damaging. Yeah. Thank you for how you explained that. And I actually did not know that they've done those studies that you just talked about, but I'm really glad because in the trauma therapy world, I've always learned that, you know, trauma exposure that you didn't witness directly, you weren't there, like you saw it on TV. They used to say like, you can't be traumatized by seeing planes hitting the Twin Towers on 9-11 on TV. But if you were there, you you can. And that doesn't jibe with how many people have experienced or what people report about the way they feel about those images and videos, especially, you know, like it's not just the video of what happened, what the police officers did to George Floyd, but using that one as an example, like it's like a, it's like you are witnessing it. It's like you are there because you're seeing what the witness sees. So I don't see how you can separate that. And how does your brain go? Well, this isn't, this is because it is real. This wasn't, this isn't a TV show. It's actually something that's happening to someone. So I guess that's the distinction maybe I should be making is like, are they talking about TV show or TV news? image of an actual real thing. And, and we know trauma is cumulative, right? Yes. There, and so racial trauma is, is a cumulative experience. So every personal or even vicarious encounter with racism contributes to a more insidious and, and chronic stress. I, I always think about, so my, my oldest son is seven and I, I really make every effort to limit what they see on TV. Uh, however, my mother lives with us and she is the 24 hour news watcher. Like there's mm -hmm. some news channel on 24 seven. And when Ahmaud Arbery was killed and he was out walking and she happened to have the, the TV on and the video, like these videos often are, are just replayed over and over again. And my seven-year-old happened to be in the room when this video was being played. And unfortunately, he saw it and very much internalized it. Mm -hmm. And shortly, maybe a day or two after, and I, I didn't initially realize that he had, had been exposed and had seen it. And my husband and I were about to go out for a walk and he broke down into tears and he begged us not to leave because he was so afraid that something would happen to us, that somebody would hurt us. Because what he saw was a black man walking down the street and because he was black and walking down the street, he was killed. And so immediately, of course, he associates that, that same risk with my husband and I. So he, he didn't want us to go for a walk because in his mind, that, that meant we would be killed. Mm -hmm. So how could that not be traumatizing for a seven-year-old? Then I, I had to sit and, and, and try to convince him that we're safe. But even in the back of my mind, I, I had to think, are, how safe are we really? Because I, I'm, I'm trying to support him and convince him and, and calm him down. But I certainly have my own anxiety. Yeah. And, and I made every effort to avoid seeing that, that video. And so how, how could that experience not be traumatizing? How does a, a child or any individual not internalize that when, you, when you're watching what looks like an innocent person be murdered simply because they just happen to be in a community that that deemed that individual not to belong to that community. Yeah. It's like you're saying logically you could tell your son, you know, that's not what we should expect anytime someone's walking down the street, but I could see that it would be like, well, he's got a good point. I mean, actually, why why am I telling him he's wrong? His reaction actually makes sense. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's a very, it's a very valid, a very valid fear and I, and anxiety. And, you know, I, so, so I, I receive in general, I've certainly received an exponentially increased number of referrals over the, the last two years, but I, I'm also receiving a lot of both individual and school referrals from, from adults asking, how are we supposed to support our students given all of the trauma that they're being exposed to, but in particular, our more vulnerable students. So our students of color, our LGBTQ students, how do we support them? Because we recognize that they're more vulnerable and they're at much greater risk of experiencing trauma. And, and these, I, I literally received these calls, you know, a year ago, almost weekly, certainly now monthly, where, where individuals, parents, teachers, principals are asking me to come and educate them or show them how to support because they're at least, you know, the very little good has come out of this racial reckoning or, or COVID. But the one thing that's come out of it is that we are having these conversations in a way that we were not having them before. And the term racial trauma is at least becoming more mainstream. Certainly, yeah. I never learned it in psychiatry training. I, I, I doubt it's even being taught now, but at the very least, there's there's some understanding or recognition that this is in fact traumatic. Yeah. Hey therapists, this is Laura Reagan. If you listen to this show regularly, you're hearing a lot about trauma and attachment, and you probably know these two underlying concerns are what drive most people to seek therapy regardless of how the symptoms present. The good news is trauma is becoming a buzzword. And that's great because more people are discovering there's a reason they feel the way they do. And now they can name what they need help with, but they need to find therapists who can help them. And that's where you come in. Join Trauma Therapist Network's therapist directory now at the founding member price of $33 a month. And you'll receive a beautiful listing that can function as a web page if you don't want to set up your own site or even if you have your own. And you can include links to videos of yourself, blog posts, and you're part of a community. Right now we have quarterly calls for all members. Our first one happened in October and it was lovely. Everyone said they really enjoyed it, but I'm adding more content that will begin to be available March 1st, 2022. And if you sign up for February 1st, you'll be locked in at the founding member price of $33 a month. February 1st, the price is going to go up to $97 a month to reflect added value of these new offerings. And everybody who signs up as a founding member for $33 a month will get all that content beginning March 1st, as long as you keep your membership. I'm really excited about what's to come. We're going to have weekly live calls, four per month, and one will be a Q&A, one will be focused on self-care, one will be case consultation, and one will be training on a certain topic. Hurry on over to traumatherapistnetwork.com to sign up and become a founding member of this beautiful community of wonderful, passionate, and skilled trauma therapists. We need you. People who have trauma are out there looking for you, and they don't know how to discern that you specialize in trauma. So come on over to the Trauma Therapist Network and get listed. Join our community and this movement, traumatherapistnetwork.com. Well, that point that you just made, I mean, for one, I'm like, wow, how great that all these people are contacting you with that awareness that more vulnerable groups, kids who belong to groups that are marginalized in our society are even more at risk than kids who aren't in those groups. So it's amazing that they realize that and come to you for help. But that was kind of what I was thinking about asking you next is, you know, how can people 
And, and I think parents like you who are, you can't say, no one can say that, oh, there's nothing to worry about that won't happen. But when you're struggling with the, your own reaction to it, and they're very traumatized by what they saw rightfully, you know, like, what do you recommend for people in that situation? And that's a, a great question. And there is similar to, to all things in, in mental health and all things parenting, there's never an easy answer. <laughs> there's, there's never a, a one size fits all. But one of the first things I, I tell the kids that I work with and the parents is guarding your heart, guarding your mind, guarding your spirit, being very deliberate about the things that you let in. Again, I, I, I make try to make every effort to not have the news on a, around my kids. I, I also, I, I don't have settings um, on in my social media that automatically plays videos because I, I know how I respond. I, I recognize how hurtful and harmful that is and how, and how stressful it is for me to see these videos. I also limit my engagement with social media, there are some days where I'm like, you know what, I can't, I can't do the trolls today. I can't, you know, I, I know that it's going to hurt. So I, I have to step away. And so I am very deliberate. I'm deliberate about what I read to my kids, the the books that I read, the representation in the books, the the joy that yes. we're, we're reading about. I am intentional in the, in the programs that that they watch. I'm intentional in the programs that, that I watch. My, my husband is so annoyed with me because now it's like Christmas season. So it's like Christmas rom-coms 24 seven. But I, I know that's what that makes me happy. And I, you know, we live in a very stressful world. And so I am intentional about scheduling and doing things and putting things in my life that I know bring me joy because there are so many other things I cannot control that, that, that try to steal my joy. So, so that's number one, being very deliberate and intentional about what you allow and don't allow into your home and then limiting that exposure, you know, limiting even our adolescents, limiting their exposure to social media. We have no idea how much bullying and um, negative information is being geared towards our kids. And so one, it's important that you're aware. So looking at what your kids are looking at, but two, also they don't need to, to spend 10 hours a day on social media. There's very little good that's going to come out of, of that. There's very little good in terms of even like self-image. Like I just watching TikTok and I'm like, some of these, this is just so unrealistic, but th this is what our kids are, are aspiring to, or, or this, this is what our kids are, are seeing. And this is what they're believing is the standard. And then the second thing is, is it's important to, to use the, the correct terminology to put words to what our kids are feeling. And so if we're not asking, if we're not delving, and then as for clinicians, if you're not screening for racial trauma, how would we ever address it? How would, how would we ever actually support our, our patients or friends or family if we're not even acknowledging it or affirming that this experience absolutely could be traumatic or was traumatic, or I would imagine that that was an incredibly painful experience or even labeling it as that, that I felt like that, that experience was a, a racist experience for you. And I wonder how you feel about that. And, and even asking our kids, assuming that they have been exposed to these things, because again, if they have a, a, a phone, more likely than not, they have. So we, we have to sit down and have a conversation with them and not start with telling them what we think, but asking them what their understanding is. Because we could be surprised. Our kids may understand it. They may get it completely and, and that's it. And we're just opening the conversation or they may have a very skewed perspective about what's happening in the world or their understanding. One, that means parents, we have to educate ourselves from reliable sources, but then asking kids, you know, for, you know, for example, George Floyd, a lot of parents were asking like, how do I approach this? So again, talking to your kid, if, if it's not over dinner, maybe it's taking a walk, maybe it's over a board game. You know, if your kid is not a direct eye contact type 
type of person, maybe you're playing Uno and having a conversation because they, they need to be somewhat distracted or they need to have something to fidget with. But hey, have, have you seen that, that the video that a lot of people are talking about, about George Floyd? Again, more likely than not, they have. What are your thoughts about that? What, what did you feel? What did you think when you saw it? Encouraging kids to use that emotional vocabulary and if they don't have it, providing that to them. So if they're describing their feelings, wow, okay. So using a, a, a term called reflective listening. Wow, okay. So it, tell, it sounds like you did see the video and when you saw it, your heart started racing and you started to feel really angry. And, you know, I, I wonder if that if that scared you or if, if, that, if that made you worry about your safety or, or my safety and how that made you feel. And so opening the floor, giving them that permission to express themselves, there's no wrong or right, just giving them that opportunity. And then if they're, they are afraid or they're, well, every time I walk out the door, I'm, I'm at risk of dying or I, I can't go to school because of all these horrible things, then being able to essentially level set and say, you know what, I, I completely hear you and I can understand why that's scary, but these are, these are the things we can control. These are the things we are putting in place to try to keep ourselves safe and to increase equality. And these are the things you can do to improve the future or to improve your lives and, and giving them those tools to exert control, right? Because success begets success and you give kids the opportunity to feel strong and successful, then that increases their confidence and that decreases that anxiety. But it starts with the conversation. It starts with naming it, labeling it and, and opening up the floor. Beautiful. And, you know, honestly, you made me think about so many things when you were talking there, because I thought about how the discomfort that any mother in your situation in that moment that you shared about your son would have when you wanted to go for a walk, you were going to go for a walk. That was something you were looking forward to. And suddenly he's having this big reaction. You have no idea why, because you don't know that he's seen the video. And then it would be easy to just be like, why is he so upset? Just, it's fine. You know, we'll be back. We'll be right back, you know, and just go. And I mean, that would be understandable, but then he's left with all this panic and no, nobody helping him with it. So, but it's like, also just the fact that that question that he's asking you, there's, there's no easy way to be like, I can make this all better for you, you know? So it's easy to not want to go there, you know, and especially for parents who, you know, most parents really don't know what a trauma reaction looks like in a kid. Most teachers don't know. So, you know, what they see is behavior that doesn't make sense and they want it to stop, <laughs> you know, it makes them really uncomfortable. Absolutely. And that's why they're, and I, I really appreciate that you have take a, a trauma-informed perspective because I, I, I think every workplace, every educational environment, everyone should be trained and understand what it means to be trauma sensitive. One of my, like I kind of fangirl over a, a child psychiatrist, his name is Dr. Bruce Perry. And, I, and oh uh, yeah. I'm a nerd. So like he, he's super cool to me, me too. Um, but um, he has a wonderful book called the boy who was raised as a dog. And in, in that book, he, he talks about understanding trauma. And obviously many of his examples were very, very extreme. But what, one of the things that he says that when, I, when I'm teaching other people, in, including parents, about what it means to be trauma sensitive, you're changing the way you're looking at the behavior. The, the behavior is, you know, it's not just to act out. Usually the behavior is a form of communication. And then the other, the other perspective change that you're, you're taking is you're, you're not asking what's wrong with you. Oh, why are you behaving like this? Oh, I can't stand this kid. Or why, why are you doing this? Like, why are you trying to upset me versus what happened to you? 
and in the situation with my son, that was the same thing. So it wasn't, oh my gosh, like stop, stop overreacting. Why are you doing this? The question is what's behind this? So yeah. there, there's clearly a level of pain or anxiety behind that reaction. Why? What's happened that led to this reaction? And if we were to change that, so if in school, a kid's having a tantrum and instead of penalizing the behavior or labeling the kid as deviant or oppositional, you're able to implement certain techniques that can help um, help a really dysregulated child re-regulate. And usually those are more sensory and less calm down because obviously, you know, calm down worked. All parents would be like superstars. You know, if I could just say a word and my kid would listen, I would have no problems. But once a kid is beyond, like once they're dysregulated, talking doesn't work. You can't just talk them down. So usually it needs to be one, a sensory intervention. But then also, instead of blaming them for that behavior, asking and, and looking and saying, okay, this was a really tough situation. What could have led to this? What, what was the pain that was behind this? What were you trying to tell me that you couldn't use your words for? That completely changes the way we approach our children. And it, and it completely changes the way teachers, clinicians approach the children that, that they're working with, because it's, it's no longer from a deficits-based perspective, but we're thinking of it more one from a strengths-based perspective, because every kid can do something well. But also we're, we're, taking, we're taking a more unbiased, holistic view and saying there's something else behind this. Let me investigate. Exactly. It's like giving them the benefit of the doubt that just because I don't understand this behavior doesn't mean that they're doing it to me or they're trying to be a problem. They just want to be, they want to feel normal. Everybody wants to feel normal and do do their life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there, I mean, there's so, so many very good training programs out there for parents, for teachers, for clinicians around becoming trauma-informed. Certainly, you know, Bruce Perry, another psychiatrist, Dr. Ablon, he has this phrase, kids do well if they can. And so he, and I, I can't remember the name of his organization, but if you, if you look up Stuart Ablon, he has a number of training programs that are also trauma-sensitive and, and trauma-based. And then- How's his know, last name spelled? A-B-L-O-N. Thank you. Oh, it's I'm called, it's called Think, it. Think Kids. Okay. And it, it's based in, um, in Boston at, at Mass General where- and I live in Boston, which is probably why I'm more familiar. But then it's, you know, also recognizing, you know, again, not limiting our definition of trauma and, and understanding what may be traumatic for us may not be what's traumatic for that child. And, and really ensuring that we're not minimizing a child's experience. I think as adults, we so often, oh, it's not that big of a deal or you're making such a big deal out of this and it's so small, but we can't define what's pain for someone else. And, and we, are, we can't say that that doesn't hurt you simply because it didn't hurt me. And so just being, being very cautious to, to affirm rather than minimize or just dismiss altogether. And then of course, I, I always err on the side of therapy. It, there's, you can never go wrong referring a child for therapy if you feel like they're struggling in, in one realm or another. I feel that way too. I mean, I know I'm a, like biased as a therapist, but it's not like just get through, survive to be 18 and then you'll be okay. <laughs> you know, and that's sort of how we seem to like look at children's emotional lives as if it's just like, oh, you just like, you just don't know what to do with yourself. You'll be fine. You know, it's when how many of us adults are walking around still in so much deep pain from the things that happened when we were children. And yet we look at children like what they're fine, you know? 
Exactly. And, and so many of us, our emotional growth was stunted when we experienced trauma. Like that, that's when we stopped developing. And I know plenty of 50 year olds that don't have the coping skills of a 13 year old or have the coping skills of a six year old because they, they were never taught. They were never given the language to express themselves in a healthy way. And that's, you know, and during COVID, there's been a 200% increase in online alcohol purchases. And there's been a significant increase in concerns around domestic violence and substance use. That's because there are many, many adults out there who have no idea how to manage stress. They have no coping, no healthy coping skills that they can fall back on. Yeah. Our culture's way of just saying like, pretend it's not happening and it'll go away is showing that it's got some cracks in it. <laughs> you know, veneer doesn't work. And everybody's running around like, you know, chaotically being angry and terrified. So yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I am really excited that you are out there doing what you're doing. And I'm, I don't think when you talked about Array, you, you didn't tell everyone that you're working to have it be nationwide, right? Yes. Yeah. So Array, Array Behavioral Care is a, a telepsychiatry company, but it, it's a, a, a behavioral health or psychiatric practice first. And it's a psychiatric practice that utilizes technology versus a technology company that dabbles in behavioral health. So our chief medical officer, Jim Burrell, started brick and mortar or in-person psychiatric practice in New Jersey, but realized the need was so much greater than just the kids that he was serving in New Jersey. So he implemented this telehealth or virtual practice. And we, again, we have an arm of our practice is called On Demand, where we work with hospitals and do consult work and work in the medical units in the emergency rooms. And we have an arm of our practice called Scheduled Care, where we partner with clinics throughout the country who don't have access to psychiatrists. So I, I have a clinic in Peoria, Illinois, and there are no psychiatrists that take Medicaid. There are no psychiatrists in that area that take insurance. And so I partner with the local family practice clinic. And I see their kids, the, the patients and the families that they treat now, because I've, I've incorporated myself into that clinic via telepsychiatry, I'm able to support that same population. And then we have um, a third arm that's called at home, where you can go online to array BC, B is in behavioral, C is in care.com and sign up to access a therapist or a psychiatrist from the comfort of your home. So I just had a session with someone, they were at work. And then I had a session earlier with a kid. They were at school. They went into the nurse's office. I, they didn't have to miss school. They didn't have to leave. Mom zoomed in from work. The kid zoomed in from the nurse's office at school. And we were able to have that appointment without mom having to leave work and take PTO without the kid having to miss a half a day of school. And so I am able to provide the same level of care, the same standard of care, but with much more convenience and accessibility. I am here in Massachusetts and I, I serve people in Illinois, Virginia, Washington. I'm getting licensed in Pennsylvania. And so we're hoping, or we plan to by mid-2022 to be able to offer services throughout the country. And we certainly take a variety of insurances depending on which state that you're in. And if you if you go to our website, arraybc.com, you can enter your state into your health insurance information and, and even read the profiles of our therapists and our psychiatrists and pick one that you feel like would match your needs. 
You can also call us at 1-800-442-8938. And we have care navigators who are available, I believe, from 8 or 9 a.m. until 11 p.m., seven days a week. And so if you prefer to speak to a live person versus going online, you know, if technology is a little bit intimidating to you, no problem. We, we have individuals who can support you. And a lot of people are able to get an appointment in a couple of days or weeks versus most places having months long wait. Um, because when, when you're struggling, the last thing you want to do is have to wait six months before you can talk to someone or get help. Yeah, this is really great that you offer this. So just to be 100% sure, I understand people can self-refer. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And it just depends on if your your service is available in their state or not, and then whether or not their insurance is accepted. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And so that's why I would say go online or call us and, and we can let you know. Great. Well, Dr. Nicole, it's been really awesome talking with you today. I am so glad that we connected and just thank you for taking the time to be with me today on Therapy Chat. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. And thank you for, for the work that you're doing and getting the work word out. This is so valuable. Thanks. Therapists, if your practice doesn't accept insurance, go to thesuperbill.com to get started with Superbill, a service that can help your clients get reimbursed. Superbill is free for therapists and your clients can use the code TherapyChat to get a free month of the service at thesuperbill.com. Also, you can earn $100 for every therapist you refer. After your clients complete the one-time HIPAA-compliant onboarding process, you can just send us their Superbills. Superbill will then file claims for your clients and track them all the way to reimbursement. By helping your clients get reimbursed without the stress of dealing with insurance companies, Superbill can increase your new client acquisition rate by over 25%. The next time a potential client asks if you accept insurance, let them know you partner with Superbill to help your clients receive reimbursement effortlessly. Visit thesuperbill.com to get started. Today's episode was sponsored by Trauma Therapist Network. Find information, resources, and connect with a trauma therapist near you at traumatherapistnetwork.com. Trauma is real. Healing is possible. Help is available. Traumatherapistnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to 
oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.